Well, that's, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, when you say that, that the, the Think Outside the Bomb is youth-led, uh, what is the structure like? And, and you know, who runs it and how, why would we be able to describe this as a youth-run organization? Well, we're actually not uh, technically an organization um, in the sense of like a nonprofit is. Mm-hmm. So what we are is a network, and um, that gives us a lot of freedom um, to operate without hierarchies and through consensus-based decision-making. Okay. Uh, Think Outside the Bomb was originally affiliated with um, a, an anti-nuclear organization uh, when it first started about six years ago and held youth conferences all over the United States, sort of reaching the heart of the nuclear industrial complex. So there were um, conferences held in California at different parts of the UC system. There was one held at MIT. There's been one held in D.C., uh, and that was all really an opportunity to share resources, uh, give skills, invigorate young people. And then last year, we went to New Mexico, and we held our conference there. And in doing that, we realized that it was now time to act. Um, it's the 65th anniversary of the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki coming up this year. Yep. And with these huge investments in nuclear weapons, we just decided it was time to use our network ability, our dispersed efforts, and come together to really make change. Well, I like that. And, and, and how does one uh, get in touch with the organization? How does one make plans to show up? Well, what, what, what do you need? Well, you can go online to www.thinkoutsidethebomb.org. Mm-hmm. And um, there you can see that there is registration information right over in the left-hand column. You'll see it says register for camp. Um, There's an opportunity to endorse people. There's an opportunity to get people more interconnected with our network. We have lots of resources there and contact information. And, of course, there's also a Donate Now button. Um, So we really want people to come down to the encampment July 30th through August 10th. And people don't have to come for the whole time. They can come for like a four-day period, really hoping that they'll show up for August 6th on our day of action, but any period of time that they can make it. But even if they can't come, um, we really encourage people to give um, in whatever way they can to support the encampment and support our work. You know, if I'm not incorrect, Chimayo is a place, there's a famous healing, miracle healing church there. And that's the place where the penitentes would come, the guys that carry the crosses on their shoulders halfway across uh, New Mexico to come to this place. I visited once, and there's it's like Lourdes, New Mexico style. There's crutches and things like that hanging on the fences, and it's, it's this famous healing dirt. So I think you're in the right place at the right time. Uh, uh, we'll talk to you again after the conference and see how it went, Liz, okay? Okay, thank you so much for your interest and your support. Thank you also for doing what you're doing. Okay, bye-bye. Okay. Sheriff Axehandle is with us today. I brought him in because I want his take on something that Arizona Governor Jan Brewer said. She claimed recently, Sheriff, that uh, law enforcement has been finding beheaded bodies in the desert. Uh, that these are this this is proof that the uh, illegal aliens are working with the Mexican mafia because that's what they do to people who cross them. I'm not talking about crossing the border. I mean, you know, double crossing them and such. Because of course, she said they were drug mules before, and that turned out not to be true. So, what do you think about this? Well, what's happening? I'm completely confused by your story, Mister Bergman. Well, that's uh, a good in the start. first place, if you find some heads without yeah. some bodies to them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now I know that over in uh, Afghanistan, yeah. they find heads when people blow themselves up. They find their heads. Now, and nothing more. Nothing more. Just them heads. So I think perhaps 
we could be looking at some exploded bodies here that they could be uh, uh, they could be uh, uh, you know those criminal bombers who go into places and blow them up except there's no places down there in Arizona to blow up well maybe maybe this they're the victims of that uh, underground electrified fence that Rand Paul wants to put in maybe they stepped over the wrong fence at the wrong time and blew themselves to kingdom come of course I'm getting to America's kingdom come for them well okay uh, well I now you didn't ask me whether this had anything to do with crop circles. No, I didn't because that never came to mind. But what does it, if anything, have to do with crop circles? I can't figure it out, Mr. Bergman, but I know in there somewhere there's crop circles. I just feel it. I feel it in my bones. And besides that, they could have taken these bodies away for investigating their internal organs out there in outer space. Don't have time to do the crop circles. Anyway, what? Why I don't, don't know you why give you Governor- called me in on this because I'm not an expert on heads, man. I just don't know what to say about it. It kind of makes me feel comfortable, you know, heads. Excuse me. I, I got to go. PBS NewsHour's Bridget Desimore and Betty Ann Bowser, woof, woof, have struggled to overcome access to a, quote, federal mobile medical unit in Venice, Louisiana. They say the glorified double-wide trailer sits on a spit of newly graveled land known to some as the BP compound. Ringed with barbed wire and chain-link fencing, it's tightly restricted by police and private security guards. This is what they report. Well, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services set up the facility on May 31st, and according to a press release, the medical unit is staffed by... A medical team from the HHS National Disaster Medical System, a doctor, two nurses, two emergency medical technician paramedics, and a pharmacist. They should probably have added to that a spinmeister and a publicist. For over two weeks, Desmore and Bowser attempted to get a general sense of how many people were being treated there, who they were, and what illnesses they had. It was either access denied when they tried or no response at all. So they're being stonewalled by the meds? When Desimore finally got to speak to Ron Berger, the medical unit operations chief of the HHS's National Disaster Medical System, she was told that the facility had been treating responders and could not or or would not confirm or deny that any area residents had been treated there or turned away. Concerns over public health in the Gulf region run high. Experts in the field have called for a coordinated approach to monitoring and researching affected populations. And residents of the region continue to worry about the near-term effects of the cleanup effort and the long-term health impact the oil spill will have on their seafood. Well, they have good reason to be concerned. One of the first things BP did after the oil started gushing into the Gulf was to spray more than 1.1 million gallons of a dispersant with the optimistic name Core Exit onto the oil. I wonder who thought of that one, Core Exit. Then BP hired Louisiana fishermen and others to help with cleanup and containment operations. About two weeks later, over 70 workers fell sick, complaining of irritated throats, coughing, shortness of breath, and nausea. Seven workers were hospitalized on May 26. Workers were engaged in a variety of different tasks in different places when they got sick, breaking up oil sheen, doing offshore work, burning oil, and deploying boom. BP officials speculated that their illnesses were due to food poisoning. Well, that's an ironic lie, considering that they are in the process of poisoning the region's food, or they said it's other unrelated reasons. Like what? Existential angst, or just plain gold-bricking, or hypochondria, or, you know, whatever. Why don't they just get Tony Hayward off his yacht named Bob and down there to take these people's temperatures? 
Seasons come, seasons go. The, Oz is like a season. Doing a show with you has like four wonderful parts. And I guess if the end is the fall, you know, then we're in the fall of the show. And we're, gonna, we're, we're coming near the darkening of the light. Who knows? I'm being, I'm waxing poetic. You are waxing poetic. I can wax poetic too. But I mean, if isn't it possible that if we announce that we're leaving, then the insurgents will be emboldened to take our place? You got too much heat under the turban there, Dave. Let's just get some tang poetry going. Let's oh, stay out of the geopolitics. All right. Okay, all right. Okay. Well, this is a this is a really nice suite of poems called oh. Seven for the Flowers Near the River. And who, who's our author here? Who is our author here? I got a uh, Tufu. This is Tufu, oh. and this is for those who don't know the eighth century, so long ago. Okay, Seven for the Flowers Near the River. The riverside flowers are driving me crazy because there's no way to describe their effect. I went to see my neighbor and fellow drinker. He's on a 10-day bender. All I found was an empty bed. Flowers in crowds, shoals, galaxies swarm and tangle by the river. I don't walk, I stagger. Spring knocks me out. Two things I can still manage. Wine and poetry. You flowers have pity on a white-haired man. A few houses here, where the river is deep and the bamboo is quiet. But these flowers, this red and white flirtation, and what can I give in return? Hey, spring, have some of this good wine. Over to the east, Sheng Tu's flowers are lost in smoke, and Hundred Blossom Tower has it worse. Who could afford that place? Wine in gold cups, dancing girls in plush surroundings. Other side of the river, here's Abbot Wang's grave. Spring light seems drowsy here, leaning against the breezes, a mass of peach blossoms waiting to be picked. What do I want? A pink one or a red one? Mrs. Wang's garden. Flowers engulfing the path, thousands weighing the branches. Butterflies move, pause, move, pause. It's a dance, and the Orioles know the appropriate music. It's not that I love them so much. I'm likely to die. But I know I'll age more quickly when they're gone. Clusters don't wither and droop so quickly. Little buds, don't rush it. Open slowly. Radio Free Oz. The Oz Team. I'm your host, Peter Bergman. Co-host, David Osmond. John Cumming keeps the ones and zeros in place. Phil Fountain does the design. Tom Gedwillow stands on top of the web. Chaz Glass keeps the numbers right. Dave Maloney makes it sound good. Bill McIntyre produces it. And Scott Wilde says, hey, this is what happens with social media. Tomorrow and tomorrow and 